Hey all you cool cats and kittens, welcome back to another episode of The Black Codes. You're here with Savannah, and I'm here with my friend across the across the way. Oh, what's Donald. up people? This is Donald. I'm cozy right now. He is, he's definitely in a cozyville. He is wrapped in a little blanket. It's very soft. He has his head scarf situ- bag situation. I don't really know what that thing is called. <laughs> it's um, it's like a, I don't know what it's actually called. It holds my locks though. It's like yeah. a, it's like a lock scarf. Word. I guess. Yeah. Um, I am actually in Pittsburgh this time. Usually we record in Baltimore. Donald comes down. Um, we'll record and I'm here in Pittsburgh this week for the holiday and Donald (laughs) it's always interesting going into different people's apartments and like seeing how they decorate and how they you know just essentially live their life and especially now during quarantine because we're spending so much more time home um, how people are living and and I think about like decor and how my apartment is set up and decorated and how I just have it and it's very functional for me and it like meets a lot of needs. So coming into other people's places of, you know, residence, it's interesting just to see the differences. And I told Donald I am going to buy him some stuff. <laughs> he has a very cool apartment. He has two really nice porches that I'm envious of I just have a fire escape um but we have to get some things on these walls and you know some some other little you could use some other things as well yeah the walls are definitely on the naked side um I need like a good big table Mm -hmm. um for this puzzle I have like a puzzle it's in a not optimal location and like a bigger work table Definitely, and I don't know what to put on those walls. Like, I should get some art. For sure. But I don't know what kind of art I actually would want on the table, on the walls. Mm-hmm. Do know. you have art that you see that you like? Um, Is occasionally, there like a specific yeah. style of thing? You're like, oh, I like that. That's cool. I like really good pictures. Mm-hmm. I like realistic things. Like, I'm not into cartoony looking art, art stuff. Abstract is okay, but not to the extent that it's just like somebody just threw a paintbrush at and went to war with mm-hmm. the paint uh, canvas, and then was like, "Oh, this is my great art." Like, I'm not into yeah. that. There's a lot of uh, really talented artists online on Instagram. I've purchased a few pieces of art via instant, like finding random artists mm. um, there. So it's a great place to start. There's all different types of styles and mediums and people are being very creative. And, you know, it's the plethora of like people of color, black artists that you could just tap into with Instagram Mm. is a lot easier than like some of the more traditional routes and purchasing art. So I would start there, like go on IG. I should just look at your story. Yeah, <laughs> or I put I do post a lot of art on my story too. I try to share those things with people though, and I almost always try to make sure everyone involved is black or a person of color or a woman. Um, but yeah, that's a great place to start, and then you can like slowly 
get some things and there's there's a really cool art scene in pittsburgh as well so. yeah i have not tapped into that there's a lot of like pittsburgh-esque things that like people who come here really like that mm-hmm. i don't do when i'm here but i'll do in other people's cities mm-hmm. and i don't know if that's like a being here thing or like i don't respect it as much you take your city for granted for sure and it's not really until you're with someone that's not from here do you maybe do some of the more touristy things because you want to show them and then it's like oh you know this is like the first time i've actually ever done this too because it's been down the street like it's not going anywhere you Mm know um yeah so that's that's cool though thanks for having me i appreciate it yes it's good to host i want to like host things but I don't ever, like, really invite people to my house. <laughs> and it's not like I don't like them. I just, I don't know. I just don't. Like, just, I'm hardly even here. Yeah. And when I'm here, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I'm just going to, like, stay in. Like, this past weekend, I didn't move. So I did a 10K with a couple members from my gym. And, oh, my God. That was so fucking hard. Yeah. It was just three. It was six. It was a six-mile race. And, like, almost four of it was just up. Like, mm-hmm. just imagine going up the the tallest hill that you know, and you just do that for, like, half an hour running <laughs> in the mud. And so I got back, I ate, I took a nap, and then I did not physically walk out of this apartment. That was Saturday. I got home at 11 a.m. I didn't leave till Monday at 4. Mm, nice. Yeah, I'm not surprised. None of what you just explained sound like a good time. <laughs> That was a wonderful time in Um, hindsight. Yeah, I'm happy you enjoyed it, but I don't blame you for definitely needing the R&R. But we're here to talk about something that you're talking about, that you've literally been reading and researching and studying for quite some time. We started a new blog recently on just talking about like equity and what that really means and what it means for the present and how we have to look back to see how this these are like long-standing issues just the general nature of our podcast um we talked about education and this week we're going to talk about loans oh what's fun so I'm sitting here listening to you do this intro, uh-huh. and I thought about the meme when the guest pastor is getting introduced <laughs> by the uh, pastor at the home church, and how they just sit there ready to start talking, like with a real proper look. And I'm just sitting here, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me, yeah I'm ready. <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> So I was just sitting there thinking about, I wonder what I actually look like with that meme. And I'm like, imagining myself in the third person. Somebody else was in the room. Yo, that's really funny. While I was just saying that, I was trying to think, what was the other topic that we talked about? I know it wasn't just um, education. It was housing. So we talked housing, about yeah. housing. We talked about education. And this week, you were going to tell us about, well, it might be a few, a few episodes. You're going to talk to us about loans. Yeah, so people talk about how... There are these discrepancies between black and white America and, oh, my God, where did this come from? And I'm like, yo, have you, like, ever, do you know how to spell history? <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's there. Yeah. And the history of, like, income gaps and home ownership gaps and education gaps, 
they're all very well clearly spelled out and if we wanted to make this episode us talk about home decor and jokes we could make this a 20 minute episode and just say and one minute of it be because white america for 200 plus years did not want us to like have those things yeah and law changes faster than culture and so if you have a legal system that says you can do this and then you make it go away, that doesn't make the culture of it change. If Absolutely not. Peop- if marijuana is illegal for decades and then becomes legalized, people who did not like the idea of marijuana being legal are not all of a sudden going to be like, oh, yeah, weed smokers are cool they're still going to have a stigma against it. And they still might pass that stigma on Mm -hmm. long after their kids never knew that marijuana was ever illegal. Right. And um, we forget that. I think that's such an important note that law changes faster than culture, changes faster than opinion. You know, when you've been taught something for X amount of years and it's being fed to you, via your parents in some capacity, via the media in some capacity, everything that you're taking in. When someone comes out and says, oh no, actually it's this, it's going to be hard for Mm -hmm. you to break away with, because now you think, really, if we wanna go there, you have to think about, damn, my parent, these people that I trusted were telling me things that weren't true. Mm -hmm. And especially if there was already evidence that said it wasn't, but they were so dead set in saying it was, and now I went around being wrong. That could fuck up your identity. So you don't even want to like, you know, be honest with yourself so you keep perpetrating a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other thing now. <laughs> oh, yeah. We actually chatted about that. You know, people yeah. fight real hard to just convince themselves of what they think is true For just because sure. it's too painful to back off of that. Mm-hmm. You get sunk with the uh, the sunken cost and you're not willing to cut ties. Yeah. So you just hammer down even more. Um, so, you know, when we look at the world that we live in and people talk about poverty and the ghetto, like, this stuff is constructed. Um, you know, I even titled my notes like, this is all constructed in this mm-hmm. sense. And not to the construction that somebody thought it would look like this, but to the extent they kind of want it to feel like this. Yeah. And you don't get large swaths of, you know, poor people in this area and then this, you know, black people not having access to things because, you know, the cards just fell that way. Like, cards get set up. People deal cards. They don't Mm -hmm. just appear. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at where we are right now, I found a quote um, from Barack Obama that I thought was really cool back when he was a senator. And he explained that only when the white community comes to an understanding of the historical dimension that often serves as the basis for anger in the black community, will it be possible to establish a path to a quote-unquote more perfect union. And right now, the only thing that we can really get united about is the fact that we don't, uh, we like to drink, and we like to, like, watch sports. It's pretty much it. And so here are a few things about America today. Citibank did a study and said that in the last 20 years, America has lost $20 trillion dollars due to econ- uh, economic discrimination in that um, different potential business opportunities that black Americans and other people of color could have created 
wage differences because people don't want to pay black people enough money. Um, over $200 billion lost in housing because you want to lower the value of homes in black neighborhoods. And then, you know, education, like these things add up to trillions of dollars that, you know, that's tax base that you're not getting. That's F-35 that you can't build because we're not being able to contribute to the economy because you're like, yo, we don't like y'all, so we don't want you to participate. Like, how does that help America other than just its ego? I have a question. You might not know. This um, study, was it race-based discrimination or was it discrimination across the board? Uh, it was race-based discrimination. Oh, okay, because especially when you talked about um, paying people, I know that there's obviously a wage gap between black men and white men, but there's a very large wage gap between women and men and black women and white men and even you know white women and uh white men yeah, so but, i just didn't know if it encompassed that as well or if it was just a race no it was race um and there were a few other studies this one was Citibank. yeah black women get paid compared to white men basically what you would pay a teenager to do work yeah <laughs> it's mm -hmm. ridiculous and so when we look at uh 2016 net worth White, the average American white family was worth $171,000. The black, average black family worth $17,000. So nearly tenfold. And the funny thing is, it's no different from the 1800s. That doesn't sound like a problem. That doesn't sound like, yo, there. what is going on? This shouldn't be happening. That's crazy. And people think that's an accident. Yeah, because black people are just lazy and shooting each other. <laughs> like, uh, foolish mortals, foolish mortals. So, when we- <laughs> Did you say foolish mortals? Yes, I did. <laughs> so, um, when we look at where does this all start, you know, well, this starts at the beginning of black and white relations here. So I want you to keep in mind that net uh, worth difference of tenfold in 1870, the difference was $35,000 and my rent money, $715, which um, back then was $1,700 and 36 bucks. Like, just ridiculous. And, you know, people want to keep it that way. So when we take it back to slavery pieces, um, we talk about economic injustice. Ownership is a big piece. What do you own? Net worth right. is created by the assets that you have. Your home, your business, your art, your means of production, uh, what can generate income. Like These are why you build your net worth. And things that go against net worth are like debt. And so Harriet Jacobs, a former slave, had a great quote. And she says, a slave being property can own no property. And America made a very strong point of that. And so back in the day, there were laws passed like strictly against not owning things. In Virginia, back in 1705, they had a law saying that you can't buy from an enslaved person. Like, mm -hmm. Savannah, yo, I got this mug right here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to sell you this mug for a dollar. You, as a white person, would get fined. And if you were a black person, you might get lynched. Uh, not maybe, maybe lynched, maybe just whipped. Mm -hmm. But a white person would get fined, and they could get thrown in jail for buying something from a black person. Like, yo, What? Yeah, and what we talked about in one episode, um, they were slaves were only allowed to like make certain goods to sell, and they were only allowed to buy certain things, and it went both ways. And it's so, 
you would think honestly they're not maximizing the capitalistic potentials that this country really could have because of this bullshit mm. honestly racism undermines the it, potential of capitalism it does like by tenfold especially when you see black people have been producing we have the ability to make money we're like we steer so many things we will find a way mm-hmm. but no that's i mean people we're... get paid off of the art of just dancing yes. and creating creative things that they just do for fun and mm-hmm. companies are like oh Here's $5 million. Can we put that on? Our, can we put yeah. our logo on that? Yeah. And it's like stuff they do at their house. Um, so with that, you know, they can't buy, you know, they can only buy certain things. And that's not universal. Back in Texas, they had a law 1846. You cannot pretend ownership. Like you can't do things on behalf of your slave master or your, your slaver you still go to jail. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, that wasn't even universal that you could even just do stuff. And so when we look at, you know, that era, like, you're not allowed to own things. How do you ever get ahead if you're not allowed to own things? And slavery here was, you know, it's not like the same way it was everywhere else in the old world. Not that slavery was ever okay, but in, you know, the Middle East and different parts, you could buy your way out of slavery. You can do odd jobs on the side once you're done with your master's task to go and earn some money because most of those people they were either conquered or they were just like in debt Mm -hmm. um so another you know interesting piece so when we talk about being able to own petty things there was this situation that happened there was this family plantation uh this martin family plantation and the that owner used to sell the cotton like for the plantation, but also on behalf of the slaves. And he would actually pay them mm. their profit off of their own cotton that they got to do on the side. Okay. When it got passed down to his descendants, his daughter argued like, yo, we don't want to do that. And the court was like, oh, well, they're little petty possessions. Like it's, it's mere nothings. They're entitled to get that stuff because it's the equivalent of when a wife would be given an allowance or some small possessions of her own that the husband still owned and could take away and they provided her no ability to have independence from. And it's like, where does that mindset come from? Mm-hmm. Like The talks and talks that we could have about, you know, one of the most interesting things I ever learned was um my intro introduction to psychology class when I was a psychology major and we were taught uh the kick the dog syndrome which I think I've explained on the podcast before when you are beat down by someone and you feel powerless like power is such an interesting concept when you think of when you become like powerless and instead of like gaining like joining forces with this other group that's also being um you know uh there's a word I'm trying to think of oppressed Mm -hmm. instead of joining forces and like standing strong most people will just beat the next person down because that's easier and they feel like they regain power and it's so it's so counterproductive to like your life and survival yeah that's what i think about when you 
like we're talking about that story being able to actually fight and make things more equal Mm -hmm. like that was a woman Mm -hmm. who the the judge told that to like yeah what you would have from your husband, oh, it's petty and meager. So, and like, like, what a slap in the face that is to her. So she should have been like, oh, this whole thing is fucked up. Like, mm-hmm. actually, like, let's sort this out. But being white was the driving force. Yeah, and it's really interesting how this resistance always kept happening to let black people own things. And um, mm-hmm. even free blacks were not free from this. So there was a story up here in Pennsylvania, a place called Columbia. These free blacks owned homes. Well, there was a mob of angry white people. Maybe they had too many um, hot toddies. Shout out to what we're drinking right now. Hell yeah. Thank you, Donald. This is actually really good. And uh, maybe they had too many of those. So they chased them out of their homes into the woods. I'm not, not kidding. This, this was in a book. I read this. Chased them into the woods. And then they came back the next day. And then when the mob calmed down, the community leaders were like, hey, like, we're sorry that happened. Can we buy houses? Like, what? So I'm just trying to imagine, you know, Savannah, I'm going to chase you out of your place and threaten to kill you. And then you come back and be like, hey, you know, um, sorry about what happened, you know, kind of get a little loose. So, you know, how much you want for that? And, you know, I don't really like you being here. You know, you're not safe. Yeah. So how about I just buy you out? Yeah, it's, I mean... <laughs> Not out, not shout out to the mob, but shout out to the mob. Like, that's kind of what that is. Like, you basically bully someone into paying for their protection. (laughs) So they have no choice. (laughs) It's like we could do this the easy way or the hard way, for real. You ever watch that movie, State Property? Yeah. When dude was like, You're either gonna get down or you're gonna lay down. Listen, I wanna consider my options. This is gonna go what like the end the end is this. So it's up to you how we get there. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, this is how people were treated. And so as you get to the beginning of the Civil War, take a long shot guess of what net worth was looking like. Mm, tell me more. Slaveholders at that time were worth twenty four thousand dollars, which to today's terms is seven hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And white people who didn't own slave Still were worth the equivalent of $55,000, your average middle-class family. But because slaves were slaves and could not own things, it was a big, fat goose egg. Mm-hmm. And then the free blacks, I don't think there was enough data on them to even consider what they owned. Mm-hmm. So eventually, enough people in America got their minds together and realized this is a really bad thing that we're doing. And it's also not the best model to move forward. If we're going to be God's people and all that. And just try to be morally righteous and make enough money. We should probably let these people do their own thing. So I think, honestly, so they always say there are all these other reasons why the Civil War happened. It wasn't because of slavery, X, Y, and Z. They're also, they're not stupid. They knew at some point, like, we're either going to let, (laughs) we're going to give these people their freedom or they're, they are going to, like, fight back. Like, rebellions are happening. People are escaping. And at some point, it, it was, I think, black people are getting to the point where it's like, fuck it, we'll die. Like, we will risk our lives mm-hmm. because fuck this shit. And, and there was still, obviously, people that were afraid. They felt more content. There's a whole spectrum of how you decide to respond. 
But at some point, it's like, okay, we can, <laughs> again, do this the easy way or the hard way. And what, what will be better when we look back? Mm-hmm. Us giving, quote unquote, freedom or them taking it away and like blood, this much blood being on our hands. Yeah, I think that's a big piece. I think some other times people uh, try to downplay the seriousness like, oh, no, slavery wasn't that big of a deal. The war wasn't just about that. Yeah, that was one of. American slavery is one of the defining aspects of what America is founded on and is about. Yeah, I mean, the six like they the states South Carolina I think was like one of the first like they are they start this succession and not wanting secession, not wanting to be a part of the colony or the country because of how they were moving on slavery and like oh if the if the people that lived the residents that lived in a state they voted against slavery there should it shouldn't be a slave state they were upset about that so they were mm-hmm. walking out we talked about them the fire eating republicans or whatever the fire eating they were democrats that starts that that begins the break and that's when they're like oh we're don't trying to do something else yeah you don't get a net worth of 700 plus thousand close to eight hundred thousand dollars as a slave owner average and which is 14 fold from the average just white person mm-hmm. because slavery wasn't a big deal. Yeah, no. It was an economy You're not going it. down literally without a fight. And they went down, uh, keyword, went down. I think some of y'all niggas forgot that. <laughs> y'all, y'all lost. <laughs> Yo, that Confederate flag thing is the most ridiculous thing. Like, do y'all not write, read history? Yes, it represents your Southern heritage. But guess what Southern heritage is? It's oppression. And you y'all niggas lost. in Western Pennsylvania. And every single member of your family has been in Western Pennsylvania since y'all brought y'all's white asses over here. You are, we're never in the union. This isn't a part <laughs> of your heritage. What are you talking about? <laughs> and uh, what sounds like a hot take, but when you think about it, it's not. <clears throat> I'm going to prepare this quote for later on. People walking around with Confederate flags is more treasonous than them walking around with ISIS flags. For sure. Because the Confederate, like, they fought what is, what was, what is the winner? What was the winner? They fought America and then lost. And lost. (laughs) ISIS is fighting other Middle Eastern people. They ain't directly fighting America. Yeah. Confederate Confederate flags are treasonous to the United States mm-hmm. and the whole culture around it. Like, it's ridiculous. I actually went to, I ran track in college with this girl and she had a Confederate flag background on her phone. Oh my God, that was, those were some interesting conversations we had. Oh, it represents like rebellion. You could pick a fucking anarchy, little simple thing, <laughs> the little A with the circle. <laughs> there, Listen, science fiction, there's been so many st- stories about someone that's a rebel, like pick someone else. There's a plethora. Yeah. That wasn't even... Uh, I can't say it wasn't rebellion, but, like, that was the status quo. It was. And then you lost. So I don't... I don't know. Get over it. I'm going to eat one of these um, right in front of your face. So I am on the final day of a two-week no-sugar challenge, and Savannah brought these chocolate cookies, and then I didn't really eat much before this, and I'm just looking at them, and I want to eat one so bad, but I just... Do not want to go into the group chat with my clients, and she just broke it, and it just looks so good. <laughs> and I don't want to go in the group chat with my clients and text them like, yeah, I folded. So, speaking of folding, <laughs> after the Confederates lost the war, 
we come into the time of reconstruction. And so this is when, you know, the union's trying to actually build America to be, oh my God, equal. They tried. They really did. But the Southern Democrats just were, they were not having it. Again, what did my guy in Baku said? We will not have it. <laughs> so <laughs> there was a quote from this, uh, one of the slave owners back then. And he says, about black people owning land, because that's immediately what black people want to do. They want to own land. Mm -hmm. They were like, he was like, um, the niggas are going to think that he was bigger than an old Grant. And also, who'd work the land if niggas had farms of their own? So they were clearly aware of the fact that black people owning land was going to be detrimental to their own, um, not prosperity, but their own like lucrative prosperity and the white hegemonic order if i own a house and you own a house how are you better than me yeah and when he said who would work the land uh a nigga you would pay that's who <laughs> i'm sure someone's looking for a job not everyone wants to own their own farm someone might just want a paycheck that's who's gonna work the land mm. there were some poor white people there who did not have no jobs they could use the job they're barely getting scraps. They're getting literally scraps. Foraging for berries. And it's because of slavery. Like, y'all poor white people literally divide and conquer, man. Y'all could have had concept. jobs. Yeah. But instead, they'd rather pay black people, not, not, sorry, not pay black people to do the job and then let you be mad at them mm -hmm. just because they're there. So, you know, when people got free, they wanted land ownership and they wanted it for two main reasons. First of all, economic independence. They, you know, black people, and still now, want to be able to not depend on, you know, the white system to be able to get by in life. And while, yes, things are, quote unquote, more integrated now, things were not integrated at all back then. And it was a form of dependency. And then also restitution for generational labor. They had, mm -hmm. you know, their descendants as far back sometimes as they could even count because of, you know, that whole transatlantic trip all of their descendants that some of these people know have always worked for free and that hell should yeah. be compensated for hell yeah and so as you move through there um a lot of these moves were blocked uh these uh, especially in the south particularly in the south um you know these uh white landowners and just the communities in general across these states went out of their way to not let blacks own land um, and, you know, even though it was legal at this point for them to do so, and they wanted to make sure that they could dictate how labor happened. And you can't make people work for you for scraps, as we'll get to. If they own their own land, they can just work for themselves on their own land. So, you know, we've all heard this whole phrase of 40 acres and a mule. So at the time, General Sherman, he was a union general, he had uh, found he found this land in Georgia, and he was actually going to give these slaves. He had this meeting with these uh, groups of different newly freed uh, black people about being able to divide up land. And he had this great proposal. Um, Fatty Stevens, one of the radical Republicans, had these great proposals to be able to basically pay reparations in land and utility. And so President Andrew Johnson, uh, towards the end of Reconstruction, was like, yeah, no, nah, that's not going to happen, chief. Look, we don't we don't own any land, so uh, we can't give no land. Mm -hmm. And, you know, basically shuts that down. Thaddeus Stevens had these 
proposals to take 400 million acres of wealthy land and be able to divide it into small 40-acre plots for these families who are newly freed to be able to do that. And they was like, nah, but we'll pass this little Homestead Act and <laughs> you can, you know, get these really bad, you know, pieces, uh, parcels of land to grow on. And then we're going to do a really poor job of administrating it. Mm-hmm. And so that Homestead Act basically was a flop. Yeah, Thaddeus Stevens, he was um from Pennsylvania. He was a Pennsylvania. Yep. He got a school out in Lancaster. Yeah, he has a school. Well, I don't think it operates anymore, but there was an elementary school that was named after him um, in Newcastle. I didn't go there, but yeah, Thaddeus Stevens was really like with, <laughs> like, yo, uh, he, and it's unfortunate that he doesn't get talked about as much because he is someone that was on the right side of history. He knew it was fucked up and was trying to provide restitution and really like, that was that was wild <laughs> what y'all were going through and we won this war and we want to make it right because you are citizens and this is like the least we could do and yeah. they fought him and the other you know radical republicans and other people that were fighting for that shit they fought him and he didn't win unfortunately but yeah i want you to think about you know you live in your neighborhood imagine down the street and all in your block you have your neighbors who own slaves like just think about they have people that do all of their dirty work and they go to work for them and you know there's a law that gets passed and now they're free and i want you to imagine yourself telling those people no you're free but you can't own any houses around here matter of fact we don't even want you to own a house because i'm actually upset that you're free Mm -hmm. because i want you to do this cheap work for us still Mm -hmm. and i want to still be in charge because Fuck you. Mm-hmm. Like, I want you to imagine yourself looking at your neighbors and them having, you know, slaves and them being free and then you pushing back against them being able to, like, actually have some independence. And also your feeling of, well, I had to work for this, so they shouldn't have it. Meanwhile, they probably did more work than you did. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. In your life. Yeah. Like, sit with that emotion for a second, because that's exactly what America was doing at that time. So Reconstruction, as we know, mm-hmm. came to an end because those, uh, Southern Democrats were just like, no, get out. Rutherford Hayes. <sighs> Rutherford Hayes. So we enter the era for the next about 40 years, uh, the sharecropping era. Mm. And this is where things get really interesting really and really interesting. set the tone for how Banks start to work. Now, there was a great quote I got from uh, to summarize this, and the feeling of it was that Negro renter's foot was a poison to the land. And um, these landlords, now they're landlords, felt like slaves often would work better if they were just in debt because they just don't work hard because they work for free, whatever. So the Civil War... Because the South lost, Mm -hmm. they lost a lot. So they lost their banks. Mm -hmm. They had, out of 1,600 banks, 20 left. The national banks, the state of Georgia and South Carolina, they had these state chartered banks. They had 49 to start with before the Civil War. They had four after. And banks at this point aren't, like, insured. Like, if something happens to the bank, that's it. Yeah, the FDIC came around in the 20th. 20th century yeah which would back them so like when the bank was gone 
bye-bye to your funds. Mm -hmm. And so that gave rise to the rise of merchants. And for some of you are like, what exactly is a merchant? They are people who buy things and then resell them. Mm -hmm. um, think about, I like to think about in those RPG video games, when you go to like the merchant guy, it's the guy with the big cloak and he like opens up his jacket and then there's all the stuff you can get. You could buy your health packs, you could buy new guns, you could buy shovels, you could buy cars from the guy. And it's like, yo, how do you fit all that in your jacket? The first time I ever, so I saw one of those people in real life. My mom, we were in Ohio for some reason. Like, so Newcastle's pretty close to Ohio, but we were in the depths of Ohio for something. And this guy, walk like we're walking to the store he walks up to us and he opens his coat and he it was like one of those <laughs> straight up like watches necklaces bracelets just like all in his fucking trench coat <laughs> and my mom i was so confused and then my mom like told us that he probably stole them because what <laughs> That was wild and crazy, but yeah. <laughs> so th they weren't exactly that in the South, but think about like... No, buy and sell. Buy wholesale. Yeah. So and then you sell. Off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I meant like the, the structure. So they weren't walking around with trench coats down there. Uh, although I would have... Yeah, I would be curious what they had under their little hats. Mm -hmm. But um, they had like your stores that were on the corner. And so they were your general stores. They had farming equipment. They had, excuse me, home equipment, foodstuffs. You know, various, pretty much everything you would need as a rural person in the South, these stores had. And because people weren't just running around with cash, a lot of people used credit back then. And so the merchants themselves set how credit went. And so we're going to come back to that. But during this time, farms still needed to get tended to. Cotton still need to get picked. Corn still needed to get grown. And so enter the sharecropping era. And so you know a bit about sharecropping. Uh, give us a little bit like um, a little. I'm going to give you a little piece about how sharecropping works. So mm -hmm. you have two types of people. You have renters and then you have the actual sharecropper. So renters are the higher class. They pay the plantation owner, a.k.a. now the landlord, they pay them to use the farm so it's like hey i have this plot of land i'm gonna pay you cash and then all the money that i make on here i keep and that was a way that people could eventually get to land ownership but that was a smaller minority of them and some of those people were also like just white mm -hmm. the sharecroppers were mostly the ex-enslaved people who now they paid their rent in their crops so when the harvest would come you know, they would have a predetermined amount that they had to pay for rent. Mm -hmm. And when the harvest came, they had to pay that up. Mm -hmm. And often, you know, if they didn't have a good season, they weren't able to get uh, as much money. And it was a very hard way to ever save just because you things weren't in your favor. Right. And the rent was high and things were termulous. And also, the big piece of this, sharecroppers did not own their equipment, which was usually the biggest factor in you know, having horses to do labor, having um, different types of livestock. So they had to also have that factored into their rent. So imagine you have your apartment. You have to also like rent your job. And then on top of renting your apartment and renting your job, which is crazy, you have to rent the equipment to do your job. Imagine, you know, with your maybe you have a MacBook and you have to rent that and you have to rent your office space. How much money you're actually going to get paid on your paycheck? Yeah. And then if you think about like... 
you can say you can have an agreement like this is how much crop you owe me at the end of the season and then at the end of the season the number is different and if you don't read and if you don't write how are you going to approve or sign really sign a contract and say mm-hmm. that this is what we agreed upon and at the end of it if the person if a white if it was done verbally and you have to get the the police or the court involved who do you think they're going to believe <laughs> and so even if you thought even if you thought you made the quota they could change it and now you're left with nothing or if you're left with anything maybe it's really nothing that you could do anything with especially not like through the off season yeah there were plenty of instances even further than that also to where some of those people actually kept record and then if the landlord came back and said oh no it went for this and this is how much you actually had and they're like but I did my numbers that way. There was actually a story in Promised Land, South Carolina. A slave got lynched mm-hmm. for getting into a dispute because he was claiming that he hid this much crop and the slave, um, sorry, the ex-slave owner was like, no, you had this much and you're fighting with me about it. So how about you just die? Like, that's what we're talking about. Like, black people can't even try to to become functioning members of society all the, just a, just trying to get a job oh we agreed on this this amount word i'll do it at the end of the season here you go oh no it's actually this no it's this like this is what we agreed upon this i like budgeted myself out and i have plans with this no it's this and so for arguing with me not only am i going to take all your shit i'm going to kill you like, like having the gall to fight with me Imagine, y'all, your best friend, no, not your best friend, somebody you don't fucking like, actually, and you work for them, and y'all get into bad money deal, and they're like, no, I'm going to kill you. That's actually Chicago. Um, But they didn't get that out of nowhere, actually. This is where that came from. (laughs) That was funny. Um, So with these... Yeah. (laughs) So with the sharecroppers... Part of their robbery, even outside of that, was they had a lot of liens. And so merchants would, when I say, you think your 25% interest credit card is bad, that was the minimum that these merchants were starting at. Uh, In different states, uh, depending on what state it was and what the buyer (laughs) looked like, (laughs) their interest rate could go anywhere from 25 to as reported as high as 89%. So if you were borrowing something that was 10 bucks, like your interest rate was like $9 on that. And so, you know, these things were like, how do you get ahead like that? And then they also would have different prices. If you pay cash, you pay this price. If you pay credit, you got this price. And, oh, you're a nigger. They had additional 10 to 20% things just in fees. So if you had like a $10 credit line you were using and you used up eight, you might still get feed another dollar, which mm-hmm. is the equivalent of basically like if you had a $200 account, you get in charge another 20, 30 bucks. Mm-hmm. Like this was normal. And then yeah. to make this worse, you had anywhere from up to four different liens on your crop. So imagine you have your garden and you are trying to grow your corn and your sugar and your cotton and sell it. The merchant could have a lien on it. So part of collateral was you know what, you don't own anything because we didn't let you own anything for 250 years. So now I know you don't own anything. 
So you're going to put up your crop as collateral. For me at the gym, that's like me renting my gym space and my equipment. And then the people I rent from are like, you know what? You know, we know you didn't have any collateral to build all this. How about we take your clients as your lean and collateral? And whatever you make, we're going to just take this much of it. And so you could have a lien from the merchant, but now you also had the landlord you had to pay. So the landlord also had a lien on that. You could also, um, those were priority. And then the landlord would pay you off of the profit of that. So you would only get that little meager scrap. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how do you get ahead? Yeah. Again, you're doing all the work and you're not getting anything. So it's just literally robbery. And so... Being able to get out of those situations was very hard. And, you know, when we come back to this next time, we're going to talk about the Great Migration and talk about why people were leaving, which was people leaving the South because sharecropping was just absolutely terrible. Mm -hmm. You can't get ahead. And then also, when we look at housing, there were, we're going to close this out with just looking at a few ways that people could actually own anything back then. So, mind you, it is post-slavery. People are allowed to own things it's just often you needed a white sponsor to do something this was a uh, very common piece and so when it came to like owning a house most former slaves who became property owners they were sold property from the plantation owner that they were at Mm -hmm. they would sell them a plot of land Um, usually this was somebody that they thought highly of or somebody that they did business with. Maybe one of those merchants wasn't a complete dickhead. Or maybe it was another plantation owner or another landowner who was like, you know what, I like you, nigger. Buy some land on my property. Mm-hmm. And so there were a couple criteria for this, though, for a black person in, like, pre-1910s, really, to be able to own land. And I want you, especially if you're, like, white and you're listening to this, or if you're black listening to this, you know, pay close attention. You must know your place. You must understand... And agree upon the white hegemonic order. It's like, you know, pledging allegiance to the United States, actually. And so you have to plead to that and understand, like, I know, I know, Master, I'm I'm second to you. I am so grateful for you letting me buy some land, Mm -hmm. first. Second of all, you actually have to have a sponsor. Because white people um, selling land to black people was very unpopular. So think about all of you. You might be this person. All of you know that, like, those white people right now who were, like, Black Lives Matter in their yards, uh, which I actually think is more for show for your neighbors than actually making any black people feel safe. But that's another topic. But you're, you're people who are, like, super, fuck the police and all this. And not that they're wrong, but you know the people who are just real extra right now mm-hmm. that you didn't expect? You need one of them to be able to buy land. If you are that person... A hundred years ago, a little over that, you were the gatekeeper to me being able to buy a house. Mm-hmm. Which made me think about something, actually. One of my clients offered, like, she didn't offer me to buy her house, but we were doing these Zoom workouts. And I was commenting on, like, I like the view. I like that sunroom that you have. And she has this kind of dry humor about herself. And she's like, oh, well, you can come fucking buy this house. And, you know, she said that jokingly, although I think if I gave her a good offer after her kids graduate from high school, like, she might fuck around taking me up on that. Mm-hmm. But um, I was just thinking, back then, that's the only way I could have bought a house. Mm-hmm. Like, me having that conversation with her and having a good relationship, but the only way I could get a house. Yeah. So that was 
the underlying way to get a house. Now, what was the burden to do that? Well, as these croppers, sharecroppers were, the more quote-unquote industrious of the people who already worked 12-hour days would also do odd jobs on the side. They would do basket weaving. They were mm-hmm. fixers. When you think about the people that you know who are like, the, they do all the odd jobs and fix things, like that started back then Yeah. to save up small money. And then when you saved up enough small money, you got some small livestock. You got some chickens. You got some pigs. And the reason for that is they could produce more money from the chicken eggs, from the bacon and all that stuff. Right. Then with that, you would buy like a cow. And then cows could generate you more income, which then you were able to upgrade and get a horse. And then when you got like the beasts of burden, mm-hmm. you were able to really get some farm work going on. Mm-hmm. Then you were able to like make enough money to get a down payment because these sl- sharecroppers, they would make about $15 a month, which is the equivalent of about $470 today. I can't even pay rent with that, let alone put a down payment on the house. So imagine mm-hmm. even getting the equivalent of five to $10,000 to put down on the house right now with a monthly income of 400 and all the odd jobs you'd have to do to do that. And that's just talking about you. Like, you have a family, I'm sure. Like, you have other people that, like... Are dependent upon you working and making money this is still a time where women are that's a whole nother thing <laughs> like the work that women and like what what was just going on with children and all of that stuff but yeah right now I think there's such a push for ownership happening and people are really starting to to highlight the importance of owning a house or owning a car getting out of debt keeping money in the community because we know that we are so far behind because all of those things were denied to us as soon as we became quote-unquote free they gave us a little and then literally took it all back you know like in the blink of an eye and so yeah, like that's why we're where we're at now. This this shit just doesn't happen on accident. It's just not like this random thing that all these black people decided to live in this busted down neighborhood where and like we talked in the housing episode when you were explaining how like they wouldn't even be able to update or upgrade or like buy a business out, you know, and change it. So then these neighborhoods continue and they still might not even own this space. And then it goes to, to the owners. Well, why aren't you making sure, you know, that this where you have your property is up to a certain code? Mm-hmm. Because black people are the ones living here. So it doesn't have to be. Oh, we don't give a fuck. Don't care at all. <laughs> so when you look at this one closing story of that journey, I want you to think about if you're a homeowner listening to this. Not to say that it wasn't challenging for you to do so. You went to work. You had to be diligent about not going to Starbucks all the time. You had to make sure that you set up to pay yourself first and put money in your savings account. Save up maybe, you know, anywhere from seven to $20,000 to buy your house. And that may have took you like a couple years. And you were in your early 20s, so maybe you fucked around a little bit. So you eventually got it together and you mm-hmm. got diligent. And I, I hear this a lot. People get diligent. They save up, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars in a year or two, then they can put a down payment on a house. Right. The Trotter family had a fifteen year journey of doing that process of petty odd jobs, small livestock, bigger livestock, to being able to get a down payment. And it wasn't the husband and wife. 
these slaves, I'm sorry, these formerly enslaved people who would do this, it was their auntie, their uncle, their nephew, their niece, and then them two, who might have been like the head haunches of this operation, all pulling their resources together to be able to do that. And this Trotter family did that. And it took them 15 years to save up enough money to put a down payment on the house because that's how harsh it was for them economically mm-hmm. to get anywhere. And so, again, at the 1870 mark, net worth, $36 versus 1782 or better yet, $35,000 to seven hundred and fifteen in net worth. And that was, you know, just a little over 100 years ago. And that, I'm guessing, is that the average white person? Yes, the average. That's not like the, okay. <sighs> well, uh, sometimes we leave these topics and it's like, so just, oh my God, like, come on. Like, what else needs to be done for it to get through, like, the people's heads that this is a problem? You know, it's just, it's so clear. It's clear as day. But I guess we're doing our part and at least spreading the word. So I hope everyone learned more about loans. I know I did. Um, I've always had mixed feelings about purchasing a home, just more so I think what the home represented. Mm -hmm. (laughs) More so than like the actual structure. But learning about this loan history yeah all all of this stuff is important and it all matters when we talk about equality and when we talk about equity like it all goes hand in hand yeah when we look at you know we had our housing discrimination episode and housing and credit are intricately tied together and so we look at this episode we talked about this economic disparity how hard it was to just move like, you get certain people that you meet in your life who are exceptional. Mm-hmm. They're just fucking bright. They're hardworking. They're pretty stoic. Like, they're just the cream of the crop of people. And you find them across every ethnic group, every gender. Like You just find these great people. But when you live in America, especially pre-80s, like and you get back to 1900s and 1800s, you have to be exceptional to just be almost average in the white world. And, you know, people talk about, <laughs> there's this t-shirt. And it said, I wish I had the confidence of the average white man. <laughs> and, you know, it's not like necessarily a knock at them because that's how we should be able to be. Yeah. You should be able to be average which there's nothing wrong with, mm-hmm. and be okay. You should be able to take care of yourself. You should be able to feel good self-esteem. but And still he, feel entitled to certain rights. Yeah, certain and, rights. Rights that you actually have, not rights that you think you have. Yeah, be entitled to the rights of the land. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and instead, you have to be exceptional to just get that here. Yeah. And so when we talk about equity, it's not about me wanting to be a millionaire and for the sake of it you know just to do that it's about the average person being able to do what the average white person can do Mm -hmm. and that's not the case we have this phrase my mom taught me you have to work twice as hard to get half as much Mm -hmm. and you know this is where that comes from yeah so uh we hope you learned something we're going to continue this and we're going to look at 
the Great Migration. So after this period in time, you know, over six million black people moved north for a variety of reasons. And uh, the economic differences were, they were different, but they laid the groundwork even further for the world we live in today. So this was the foundation of it. And then the building really gets built for incoming inequality and um, discrimination even further. And the nice, nicer discrimination is still violent. Don't get me wrong. These white people were still violently attacking black people. But there was also policy that was, oh, yeah, it's fairish, right? So we'll get to that. Let us know what you liked. And also, Savannah, we were talking about this earlier. Shout out to our Indian listeners. Oh, yeah. Shout out to y'all for real. <laughs> we looked at our stats and like over 30% of our listens come from India. Yeah. I I think we both hope that y'all are learning some stuff. <laughs> if you are one of our listeners from India, please send us an email at theblackcodes at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Black Codes Podcast. We want to hear from you. We want to know how you found this. Yeah. We want to know what you think of it. For sure. We're, I'm on Twitter. We're on Twitter now. I think the Black Codes Savannah's too. on Twitter. I'm on Twitter-ish. Uh, I'm sorting it out. <laughs> so please reach out to us. And all of you, please like, subscribe, and share this podcast. Give us your quotes. Tell us what you think about the Confederates being more treasonous than ISIS. Oh, hot take. Like it. So I want to hear from you. Um, We're going to get out of here. It's time for breakfast. Um, I have bourbon in my stomach and (laughs) I would like uh, some food to go with it. So peace out. We'll catch you next time on the Black Codes. Bye.